It was about this time last year when I said that rising tides raise all boats and that, you know, for us content creators uh, from, you know, that that hashtag NWA fam, that we should all celebrate each other and, and hype each other up because that continuity that we create, that content that we create, and that synergy that is being generated by us content creators would lead to bigger and better for everyone involved. And since then, uh, my friends over at This Is The Wrestling Podcast, man, they've been going through the roof. They, they really have caught fire. Uh, all my best to Gary Horn, Dr. Robert Stinson, and Will, hey, it's Will, for just really knocking it out of the park. They do a tremendous job. Uh, you know, I've seen some content creators kind of fall by the wayside, especially when it comes to the National Wrestling Alliance. And you know, that's, that's kind of disappointing, but understood when there's not a whole lot to talk about. Even myself, this week I find myself talking about something really not 100% related to the NWA or to the United Wrestling Network. And, and I'm, that means I'm, I'm talking out of, uh, not talking out of, but this isn't exactly my niche, right? Because I'm, I'm the NWA guy. I have been for about 12 years. But there's something that I feel like it's worth mentioning. And that is the synergy that we're seeing, the teamwork, the team building that we're seeing from uh, what should be rival wrestling promotions. So on this episode of the Alliance blog, which is a presentation of Alliance-Wrestling.com, your number one source for news and information for the National Wrestling Alliance and the United Wrestling Network, we're going to take a look at some of the, uh, the moves that have been happening down there in Florida where we're seeing multiple promotions working together together. Uh, sharing talent uh putting titles on people who aren't contracted to your company i mean this is real crazy stuff and we're gonna get more into it right after this so on wednesday three two one Wednesday, February the 10th, Major League Wrestling broadcasted the latest episode of uh, Fusion. That's their weekly show for MLW. And somebody who I last saw on Primetime Wrestling, Leo Rush, was defending his MLW Middleweight Championship against AAA's Cruiserweight Champion, Laredo Kid, in a title versus title match. Interesting enough, the last time I saw Laredo Kid was at the NWA 70th anniversary show. Anyways, these two men clashed in an interpromotional bout which saw Leo become a two-time champion. Old Leo with the two belts. Now, for Leo Resch, one has to consider this might just be another accolade to add to his already growing resume. I mean, the fact that he's a former uh, cruiserweight champion, now he holds the middleweight titles and the cruiserweight titles for uh, AAA and MLW, respectively. Uh, he's also got his eyes on the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. He was a part of the Super Cup that took place uh, with New Japan Strong. And I think that's obviously where he's going, which kind of reminds me of somebody else who's collecting belts. I mean, I'm not too old and too grumpy to say that, uh, you know, something like the uh, Super J Crown with the eight tuple, eight tuplet titles uh, I mean, th- I think that was very cool. <laughs> I think that was really good for business. But um, I don't know if it if it means the same today. And, and anyways, 
Interestingly enough, this isn't the first time that AAA has crowned an outsider as champion. And AAA currently has over 14 active championships. Why they have so many, I don't know. Are the titles defended every day, every week, every month? No. But they do have 14 active champions. Kenny Omega is the AAA Mega Champion. And the Lucha Brothers, Pentagon Jr. and Phoenix, are the AAA Tag Team Champions. All three of those guys are currently under contract with All Elite Wrestling. So right there, that's four titles that are AAA AAA Champions who are currently under contract to other companies, MLW and AEW respectively. Even Taya Valkyrie, who most recently was under contract to Impact Wrestling, I think now she's actually a free agent, has held the AAA Reina de Reina's Championship since 2019. So, I mean, I think it's, it's kind of wild, right, that uh, despite what's going on in the world with the global pandemic, your champions are now not even under contract. And I'm sure there's some sort of stipulation, some sort of rule, some sort of agreement that, you know, that these guys won't, you know, throw t- their titles in a trash can, per se. But, uh, you know, obviously they're outsiders, and, and tri- AAA is crown these champions knowing full well that you know their commitments to AEW will supersede their commitments to AAA and I that's kind of interesting because it opens up a can of worms Um, but you know AAA isn't the only promotion guilty of doing this I mean John Moxley has been the IWGP junior excuse me IWGP uh, US champion for over a year now in fact uh you know, uh, he's he's been under contract to All Elite Wrestling, but he's still the IWGP US Champion. And even when it appeared that he wouldn't be making an appearance in New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, you know, they, they came up with an idea to make Kenta the number one contender, holding that briefcase, allowing him to cash in an opportunity to challenge for the IWGP US Championship. A belt that basically was absent from Wrestle Kingdom, and I don't think it had been seen in New Japan in over a year. So, it's interesting to me that, again, New Japan Pro Wrestling, who's done this in the past, by the way, has had their titles on guys who weren't with the company exclusively, uh, now now has done it again in the last year with John Moxley. Um, you know, and, and again, not the only company to do that because our beloved NWA World Women's Champion, Thunder Rosa, lost her title to Serena Deep who was an AEW wrestler on Primetime Live. It wasn't even an NWA uh, event. I mean, I guess all matches are sanctioned by uh, William Patrick Corgan and the National Wrestling Alliance. But be that as it may, the the title changed hands in a non-NWA arena to a non-NWA contracted wrestler. And now you've got uh, Thunder Rosa competing in AEW and Serena Deeb defending the title on uh, Dynamite and on Dark. So... I guess that means that, to Tony Khan's credit, AEW has become a a wrestling promotion, essentially, without borders. They're welcoming talents from across the country, from across rival promotions, really all around the world. Its talent, uh, you know, its talent is, is squaring off in the ring with, in the past, what we'd consider the competition. I mean, this is not a new approach. Right, Tony Khan isn't reinventing the wheel. 
in the early 90s, the WWF was working with USWA, which was their uh, Jerry Lawler's promotion. It was essentially like a feeder fed to the WWF. And they did, you know, cross-promotional matches, mostly on USWA TV. You didn't really see any of that on on Raw or Superstars, if you will. But um, that was something that happened quite regularly. I remember USWA, uh, the tag team champions were the Heavenly Bodies with Jim Cornette making their appearances on WCW. This, this kind of happened quite a bit. And of course, uh, WCW had a very close relationship with New Japan Pro Wrestling for years, you know, going back to the great Muda and uh, Masahiro Chono and, and the matchup between Ric Flair and Tatsuji Fujinami, there, that connection to, you know, I guess they had that relationship through the NWA, but also just working together the, as the aforementioned IWGP uh, Junior Heavyweight Championship was unified with seven other junior heavyweight titles to make the Super J Cup, as well as, or excuse me, not the Super J Cup, but the Super J Crown, the eight titles that, I mean, famously we've seen Ultimo Dragon holding eight titles, and he would go on to win the WCW Cruiserweight Championship along with all those other belts. So, I mean, it's not something that's it's new, but it has been kind of foreign in modern days. Uh, we're not seeing Vince McMahon welcoming talent from Impact on his show. Now, a few years ago, we did with ECW. But gosh, I guess that's close to 20 years ago. Um, but to Mr. Khan uh, and AEW's credit, uh, this, it, this is something that's new in this modern era. Newer wrestling fans aren't really used to this. And, I mean, yes, Dave Marquez has been a spearhead of the open-door policy, allowing talents from rival promotions to defend their titles on his events. Uh, you know, geez, I can go back to 2004 when Marquez was promoting events for New Japan Pro Wrestling, the Tokon TV series that aired in Japan, where they brought Samoa Joe, who was the Ring of Honor world champion, to defend that title against Togi Makabe. In fact, that was the that was the belt that they showcased on on that program. That wasn't a New Japan title; it was the Ring of Honor title. And so, I guess uh, you know, to Dave Marquez's credit, he's been doing that for years. I mean, even just a few years ago at the Red Carpet Rumble, having Matt Hardy challenge uh, Ricky Mandel for the Hollywood Heritage title, having AJ Styles, who was the IWGP champion at the time. Uh, wrestling against, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember who he wrestled against, uh, Trent Beretta uh, in a non-title match. But it just, you know, showing casing these stars from other companies. I mean, he even did it recently with uh, on Primetime Live when they started that the the uh, tournament for the um, United World Title. We had Peter Avalon taking on Chris Dickinson. Peter Avalon is exclusive, or should be, is under contract to AEW. You would think he'd be exclusive to that company, but he was able to compete both at Primetime Live and at the Memphis show that they did uh, back in uh, October. And then, of course, I mean, they brought in talents like Mike Bennett, who's currently working with Ring of Honor, and they brought in talents like Rocky Romero, who's under New Japan contract. So, I mean, Marquez, oh, geez, you can't even forget about Carl Fredericks or Clark Connors. I mean, again, he, he's working with... a with everybody. So it's kind of funny that uh, Marquez did this, uh, you know, on a much, much smaller scale 
than what Tony Khan is doing. But, uh, you know, it it's fun. This whole borderless wrestling is fun because we're seeing some matchups we either haven't seen in a long time or wanted to see. And, I mean, so you look at Kenny Omega now hanging out with the Good Brothers. Good Brothers are the Impact Tag Team Champions. They're under contract to Impact. But you have... Uh, the Good Brothers appearing on AEW. You have Kenny Omega, you know, making overtures to Rich Swan in that Impact Championship. So, I mean, what does this mean for the world of professional wrestling going forward? I mean, you've got fans clamoring for these interpromotional feuds, these titles changing hands between different promotions. One has to consider that the end game, or the, well, I mean, well, I said that incorrectly. One has to consider what is the end game. Because let's be honest, uh, although Tony Khan is a very wealthy man, I don't think he has the desire to buy up all these other wrestling promotions and put them under one banner. Furthermore, I don't think that's a very good idea or was part of his plan at all. But uh, the legitimacy of these champions who are collecting titles kind of has some merit to it. I mean, some have theorized that this interpromotional war is a catch-all until the world overcomes this COVID-19 global pandemic. That through the gracious and kindness of Mr. Khan's good heart, he is helping to keep the interest up for Impact Wrestling, for the National Wrestling Alliance, and for the AAA by keeping their titles relevant on AEW programming. But outside of, you know, the Burke we're not really seeing any cross-promotion between the NWA and AEW. And although we've seen the Good Brothers, uh, you know, on Impact, or excuse me, on um, AEW, they haven't really defended their titles. And uh, we haven't seen the Lucha Brothers defend their, their AAA titles. We, we haven't even seen Kenny Omega defend his AAA title. So... Is this really benefiting the promotions like AAA or Impact? I mean, I guess viewership is really the measure stick, right? Um, Kenny Omega appearing at AAA's pay-per-view. I think that was back in January. And of course, you know, Kenny Omega being a part of Impact's pay-per-view, I'm sure helped drove their numbers and their weekly, uh, weekly audience, I'm sure, is benefiting from it. But I mean, I think this is ultimately a self-serving move to make AEW talent seem larger than life. And allowing these angles to spill over into multiple promotions just furthers help, uh, furthers to help perpetuate the idea that AEW is the biggest wrestling promotion on the planet. And I believe it's a great promotional tactic, and it's it's got this long-term ramifications, and that should be invaluable for the growth of AEW. I mean, plus it's kind of cool to see the Bullet Club uh, reuniting in the States and, uh, you know, what's going to happen. We don't really know. I mean, with Leo rush, is he really efforting to create a new J crown? Is Kenny Omega looking to go Luthez and unify all the world heavyweight champions? I mean, uh, Dr. Robert Stinson will tell you that the NWA is the lineal championship of all championships. But if we have Kenny Omega quite literally capturing title after title, if he goes and beats Rich Swan for that 
Impact Championship, giving him the control of AEW's world title, along with the AAA Mega Championship, the TNA uh, Impact, or excuse me, Impact Wrestling's World Championship. That gives him three titles. And there's all kinds of speculation now with John Moxley entering the fray uh, with Kenta that this New Japan AEW relationship is, is going to be more than just that title match. And that down the road, we can possibly see Abushi defending his IWGP Intercontinental title and IWGP world title against his former tag team partner, Kenny Omega. And I mean, the winner of that match would have five belts. Clearly, being in possession of five championships that represent five, you know, well, I guess four nations, right, is kind of a big deal. I mean, because AEW representing the United States, AAA representing Mexico, Impact, I know a lot of you probably don't acknowledge this, but it's a Canadian-owned company. Anthem, their parent company, is Canadian-owned, so that makes him the you know the world champion of Canada. And then, of course, uh, Ibushi holding the IWGP title, the top crown of Japanese pro wrestling, only so- further solidified by matching it with the IWGP Intercontinental title. I mean, you're onto something, and that's something that hasn't been done since Luthez. Now, there's been efforts to make unification titles there's been efforts to make a uh you know have a single wrestler be the champion for multiple promotions and we'll talk about that next When you talk about defining legacies in professional wrestling, typically it's with the championship titles. I mean, this was so apparent in 1996 because nothing was more baller status than Ultimo Dragon holding eight different championships. Ultimo Dragon wasn't the initial winner of the Super J crown. That was the great Sasuke. But he was the man to wear the titles into WCW. It was mainstream exposure for the Super J-Crown. Now that title was an accumulation of a tournament with New Japan Pro Wrestling. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Where different junior heavyweight titles and uh, welterweight championships and lightweight championships were unified into one crown. And so when Dragon showed up in WCW with eight titles and then defeated Dean Malenko to put him in possession of nine titles, he solidified himself as the greatest junior heavyweight champion in history. I mean, simultaneously, he held the Michinoku Pro Wrestling British Commonwealth Junior Heavyweight Championship, the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship, the NWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship, the National Wrestling Alliance World Welterweight Championship, which is actually a CMLL title, I know it's confusing. Uh, The UWA World Junior Light Heavyweight Championship. The War International Junior Heavyweight Light Championship. The WWA World Junior Heavyweight Championship. And of course, the WWF Light Heavyweight Championship. I mean, that's those are eight titles. And to be control of nine championship belts representing companies from Mexico, the United States, and Japan, I mean, that was just electric. And technically, the J-Crown unified the titles of the NWA 
the WWF, CMLL, New Japan Pro Wrestling, Michinoku Pro, War, uh, UWA, WWA, and for a brief time, WCW. It was a real baller look, and really nothing like that had ever really happened before. Now, before you get on my back, of course you have to acknowledge what Luthez was able to do. I mean, Luthez United... you. Luthez became the first undisputed world champion, world heavyweight champion in uh, modern day professional wrestling. I guess that's really professional wrestling. Back in 1948, right after the National Wrestling Alliance was formed, um, the champions, uh, well, I, I guess I should say Orville Brown was the first recognized National Wrestling Alliance world champion. And there was supposed to be a unification bout between Orville Brown, the NWA, the Alliance, uh, world champion, world's heavyweight champion, and the association's National Wrestling Alliance Association world champion, Luthez. Now, they had they were supposed to have this unification bout, and then Orville Brown was injured in an automobile, automobile accident, literally ended his career, and he was done. Like, I don't mean he wrestled later down the road. No, he was, he was done. He retired from professional wrestling. So now Luthez was in possession of the Association's Championship and the Alliance's Championship and would later go on to my neck of the woods in Los Angeles to face uh, Michelle uh, the Baron, Leon, to win the LA version of the Heavyweight Championship, truly becoming an undisputed world champion, world heavyweight champion. Um, I mean, he never had all the gold that uh, Ultimo had, but it was impressive nevertheless. And uh, for Les uh, Luthez to hold that undisputed status, again, we, Dr. Robert Simpson always speaks about he is the lineal world champion, and that title had uh, spun off promotions like uh, the WWF, uh, AWA, uh, WCW, um, really even ECW. I mean, all of these kind of came from that granddaddy of them all, the NWA World's Heavyweight Championship. Now, I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about another belt collector. In fact, that was the nickname that Austin Aries adopted after leaving the World Wrestling Entertainment on his quest to unify championships in his own right. Now, I'll be the first one to admit that this wasn't as a great of scale as, say, Luthez uniting all the World Heavyweight Championships around him. In fact, this was uh, these promotions were... Uh, in varying degrees between uh, small to medium-sized independent wrestling promotions. But the reach was really quite large. I I mean, he won titles from Australia, titles from the United States, titles from the UK, and unified them, although briefly, with the Impact Championship. He was the Defy World Champion when he won the belt on April the 13th by defeating... um, Oh, gosh. I'm going to mess this up, so I have to double-check my work now. He won the title... Oh, man. Now I look like a dummy. He won the title by defeating Shane Strickland. I knew it. So he defeated Shane Strickland to win the Defy Championship. And again, that was the belt representing like uh, the Pacific Northwest. A, a belt that was defended regularly in, in uh, Oregon. Um, he would later go on to IPW um, UK and win their world champion by uh, world championship by defeating Mark Haskins. 
He would beat uh, Ricochet to win the World Series of Wrestling Heavyweight Championship. He would defeat um, he would defeat Marty Skrull to win the Defiant World Championship. And, and at one point, the Defiant World Title was also known as What Culture Pro Wrestling World Title. He would uh, invade Impact, winning not only the World Championship. But also the Grand Championship. And of course he'd, he'd win the world title. Uh, by defeating Eli Drake. And then he would win. The. Grand title. By defeating. None other than. Uh, Matt Seidel. And so as the. Six tuplet champion. I mean he did make his rounds. As this unified champion, I remember him being a more of an authority figure for uh, Ring Warriors, but he literally had all the titles. And he actually would defend the Impact Championship on that show. But, I, I, mean, I mean, let's not say that this is anything close to what Ultimo Dragon had able was able to accomplish because all these promotions were much smaller scale. And... Again, this only lasted for a few months. I mean, he won the... The, the earliest title he won was the Defiant... Uh, excuse me, the Defy World Championship back in April of... April 13th, 2017. He would go on to win the Defiant uh, title in May of 2017. He would win the World Series of Wrestling in November uh, of 2017. Then in December would win the IPW UK World title... And then uh, would capture both of the Impact Championships in January. Um, But most of those belts would be uh, gone from him by the time we got into the summer of 2018. And by October of 2018, uh, he was titleless um, from those six promotions. But, I I mean, I guess the real play here is what's going to happen with Kenny Omega. And is his conquest uh, going to match more like Austin Aries and just collect championships for the sake of collecting championships? Or is he trying to make his own version of the lineal championship of that 10 pounds of gold, the the title that Ric Flair wore, the title that Harley Race wore, the title that Gene Kaninsky and Briscoe and both Funk Brothers and Dusty Rhodes and, and we can go on and on here, guys. Tatsuji Fujinami, Scrap Iron Adam Pierce, Rob Conway, Nick Aldis? Is Kenny Omega collecting these titles in an effort to become the one singular world's heavyweight champion? Now, I'll be the first to admit I am an NWA fan through and through. So I really feel like if Kenny Omega is going to be the world's heavyweight champion, the real world's heavyweight champion, he has to go through Nick Aldis. And that's why I also want Nick Aldis to have nothing to do with Kenny Omega. I think the charade, the charade, this facade of unifying all these titles, although will look really cool when Kenny Omega is holding, you know, five belts when he defeats Ibushi, if that's what happens. Five belts when he defeats Rich Swan, if that's what happens. Six belts if he defeats Nick Aldis. Seven belts if he defeats 
who <laughs> John Grisham and in, in Ring of Honor or I mean it, it's hard to it's hard to say right but I, I do believe that this borderless wrestling certainly paves the way for a belt collector and not unlike Thanos collecting the Infinity Stones it's gonna have very problematic repercussions when all is said and done. So for the sake of the National Wrestling Alliance and for the sake of the wrestling community as a whole, I hope to hell that Kenny Omega stays clear of the NWA World's title. And I don't think that would be too much of a problem anyways, considering, I mean, if they wanted to use Nick Aldis in AEW, they certainly could have by now. So that's going to wrap it up for this week, guys. I really do appreciate you checking out this podcast every week. We do uh, a live stream on Twitch, on YouTube, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 o'clock Pacific, at the Alliance blog. And that's all of our social media is at the Alliance blog. So you can find us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or TikTok or Tumblr, all at the Alliance blog. And until next time, guys, I, I do appreciate you checking us out. We'll see you at the matches.